Welcome back to the Agora podcast. I'm Nick Malkoutsis, your host. Following our recent excursion into the world of sport with our Euro 2004 retrospective, we're back to more pedestrian matters in this episode. Quite literally pedestrian, because we'll be taking a look at what's happening on the streets of Athens, how the city is changing and how residents and visitors feel about it. We'll start by looking at the latest intervention aimed at making Athens more livable. It's a city that takes its toll on Athenians and can often be unfriendly towards tourists. So, the mayor, Kostas Bakoyanis, recently unveiled a pilot scheme creating seven kilometers of walkways and three kilometers of bicycle lanes, both of which are in short supply in the Greek capital. He's given the scheme a grandiose name, the Great Walk. It's been welcomed by some people, but critics argue that it's a rush job and that money has been wasted on expensive plant pots and benches. This is going to be our starting point for a discussion about why Athens is the way it is and what can be done to make life here better for the people who have to navigate its challenges every day, not just those who come to visit for a few days. We'll be joined in the second half of the show by Heinrich Hall, who is an archaeologist and guide living in the city. Heinrich has a unique perspective on Athens as he knows its history, but also gets to see what fascinates and infuriates people about it. For now, though, we're joining our producer, Phoebe Fronista, and Macropolis Features writer, Georgia Naku, to find out more about the Great Walk and why it's causing such friction. And what better way to get an on-the-ground view than actually being on the ground and ambling along the newly delineated walkway in the centre of Greece's capital? Let's join Phoebe and Yuria to find out more as they walk and talk. Hello, I'm sitting uh, uh, on the bench that's right across from the... Athens Municipal Police guarding the planters. Ah, okay, all right. Around the world, urban regeneration projects raise passions, especially when a major artery is being pedestrianized. I'm old enough to remember my dad parking half on the sidewalk and half on the street, a very busy, noisy street, to go catch a performance at the Herodaticus Odeon. And now that theater is in the middle of one of the most beautiful pedestrian walkways in Athens, beloved by locals as well as by visitors. Parking, of course, remains a nightmare in Athens. So on a very windy day, I took a taxi, because COVID, to go meet Georgia and explore the Great Walk. Ah, and so, oh, there it is. Ah, ah. It starts over here again. And it's the ah, it's this is the yellow thing the bike. I think so. Yes. I mean, 
if you're riding a bike up here, you would have to technically get off, presumably. We encountered our first obstacle immediately. Oh, so it was really wide over there, but now... So now this is really nice because it just narrows, and then there's a bunch of mopeds. Yes, moped parking. Okay, so then where does it go theoretically? Theoretically, I think well, you'd have to go on the pavement and cross over to get back on the pedestrian. Okay, let's do that. The first bit of the Great Walk on Panepistimiu Avenue that leads down towards Omonia Square uh, just suddenly tapered off and we were surrounded by parked motorcycles. To make space for the bus stop, you interrupt the pedestrian way and make the cyclists swerve. If you're a pedestrian, you have to cross the cycle lane to get the bus into the bus stop. Yeah, does the, the bus stop is right in between the, tr- the, the street with cars and the bicyclists. Yeah. And so, I mean, as it stands, I think you have to be a bit And this is the main issue. Uh, The Great Walk, it's not ready. There's only these little islands of of the planned route scattered throughout the city, so it's it's really hard to judge it by any other measure than the annoyance of Athenians who woke up one day, just after the lockdown was lifted, to find bus stops and huge planters with scrawny palm trees in the middle of the streets. See, again, I don't know what the plan is for... Crossroads here. We definitely need more traffic lights to signal to the bikes and the pedestrians here. Ooh, there's a cyclist. At some point, we gave up and we went to go sit on a bench. So we went on our little walk, we tried, and now we're sitting here being guarded by the municipal police. Because I think they vandalized at some point some of these planters. Do you remember what happened with that? Well, I think, you know, as soon as you told, you made it known that it was, um, it had anti-graffiti covering on it. People had to test it. So they did. And it washed off. So. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's backtrack and talk about how, how this idea came about in the first place. So... There's been uh, extensive planning to pedestrianise the centre of Athens. The last time they attempted it was around the time of 2004 Olympics. And there was a big master plan then, and it only got part implemented. The bit that got implemented is well bedded in now. Um, People, for instance, can't even remember when you could drive a car around the Acropolis... That, that used to be a location for shooting car at, and now it's pedestrianised. <laughs> and people are well used to it. The main, one of the main shopping streets, just two blocks away from us here, Ermur, um, that was pedestrianised at that time, and it's well used now. So that's all bedded in. And I guess they picked off where that plan left off redid the studies and decided to go ahead with a more extensive pedestrianisation. What are the main criticisms that are, that are levelled at, at Mayor Bakoyanis? Um, I think the chief one is that he's been a bit high-handed about this. You know, lack of 
consultation on the actual details of the plan um, had issues with the way that he went about implementing it so there were complaints about um, the actual level of spending on some of the the fixtures you know people commented that one of the the planters used to just mark out the lanes cost as much as one month's furlough payment for instance just to put it into context um, this stage now uh, look I mean it um, it was very popular when it reverted on in the council like pretty much every party in the uh, Athens City Council voted for it um, when it came to implementing it um, it was maybe a couple of weeks after lockdown I think it took a lot of people by surprise um, there weren't uh, plans or reconstructions of it published in advance um, so yeah I mean it, it, the first couple of weeks there was a lot of uproar about it particularly about the, the traffic chaos that it created um, they, I think there's, there's the sense that it was sprung on people without a great deal of warning and without a great deal of advice about how to move around the centre um, you know they the first step was to close a couple of um, a couple of lanes and a couple of the main arteries around the centre and close one of them off completely and with, with predictable results on traffic um, but um, I, I think the jury you know given past experience the jury's out in terms of how it will work in the long term um, and I think the other thing that has emerged after the the furore that greeted it initially is that this is very much a trial stage and that it's being used to measure traffic flow and so on and to potentially tweak it as it, as it goes along. Um, the other thing that people weren't happy about was the aesthetics. Not everyone's happy with, uh, you know, the benches that were chosen, the planters that were chosen, the plants that were chosen to delineate it. You know, there's a lot of details where, you know, as we found out when we're walking, when you try and use it, it doesn't quite work. Is there something that people like about it or do they just hate it? I think people like the idea. I think, um, you know, if, if you asked any Athenian at this point, is the, is the centre, are you happy with the centre as it is? Do you think it's perfect? Most people would say, hell no. <laughs> Um, if you ask people, you know, do you think more pedestrian streets would be better? I think they'd say yes. You know, it's, it's work in progress. <laughs> what other kinds of, 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 uh, of changes do you think that Athens is, is crying out for in, in, ter in terms of making it more livable or more walkable? I think of the, a lot of the things that Athens is crying out for involve actually enforcing the rules that are already in place. Um, so ticketing people who park on pedestrian sections, ticketing people that park on disabled access ramps. As part of this plan, there would need to be a lot more attention paid to public transport. So part of the plan, the, the point of the plan was to encourage more use of public transport and alternative transport modes in general, so bicycles and, and so on. Um, and I think 
people feel that Athens is not well served by public transport as it stands at the moment, particularly surface transport like buses. Um, so more buses, more frequent buses. You know, if you talk about the environment, more electric buses, more electric transport in general, so deliveries by electric vehicle would be, you know, in tandem with a, a pedestrianisation plan would be a good move because it would remove a lot of the pollution in the city centre as well. And yeah. the noise. Yeah, because we're, we're sitting here right on next to the plants, right on the benches, uh, and it's super noisy. It's, uh, okay, it's super hot also, but it, it's very noisy. There's, you know, it's not the most pleasant place to actually sit. So it does seem like, okay, you made Sindagma slightly more cramped for cars. But other than that, what's the difference? Is it a is it a meaningful alteration of the city's fabric? Yes, I mean this particular bit, it's it's very hard to see. I don't, you know, I think it's I think it's too early in the day to dismiss it totally. I think the danger is that if they get it wrong, it's going to waste an opportunity for a generation. listening to the Agora podcast by Macropolis. You can find us on Acast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the time being. We'll soon be available in more places. In the meantime, please do subscribe, rate us, and send us your comments. You can also visit our website, www.macropolis.gr, for more information about our work. That's Macropolis with a C. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the second half of the Agora podcast, where we're discussing Athens, an ancient city facing modern problems. In the first half of our show, our producer Phoebe Fronista filled us in on the latest intervention aimed at improving city life. As was evident from the discussion she had with Macropolis Features writer Yoria Naku, the addition of pedestrian and cycle lanes, even as a pilot scheme, is prompting considerable debate. We're now joined by Heinrich Hall, a long-time Athens resident, archaeologist and tour expert with UK operator Peter Summer Travels. Heinrich is going to help us look in more detail at what it is we love and sometimes hate about our city. Welcome to the Agora, Heinrich. Hi, I'm very pleased to be here. And it's great to finally say that we have an archaeologist in the Agora. That's uh, that, <laughs> that's a goal that's been achieved now. Well, I hope it's not the last time. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be, Heinrich. Before we start uh, exploring Athens, modern, ancient, the Agora and all, all the other places, um, let's pick up the thread from the first half of the show and have a quick chat about this so-called uh, Great Walk. Um now, as uh, our producer Phoebe and our features writer Yuria explained in the first half, it has proved a controversial project. And to be honest, you know, my, my own view on it is that 
the spirit of the intervention is probably correct, but the way it's been executed is probably not what Athens needs. And, and, and to sort of illustrate that, and I, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts, um, su- substantial parts of the route already have wide pavement, so I'm not sure what purpose the walkway serves there. I can understand the cycle lanes, but uh, not necessarily the walkways. And, you know, in fact, they're probably among the few spots in the city centre where you can actually walk comfortably. And my view is that perhaps this, you know, the pedestrianisation of other areas would have been more useful. Um, I also struggle to see the point of putting benches in what is essentially the middle of a busy road, regardless of the cost, which is, of course, another issue of uh, concern. And Lastly, I really don't understand this fascination with palm trees. We were inundated with palm trees before the 2004 Olympics, and they ended up rotting away. We have so many indigenous plants in Greece, ones that can not only survive, which are representative of Athens and Greece in general. And I really don't understand why we don't use them. And that's perhaps the biggest problem I have with this intervention is that it's not necessarily representative of Athens or in tune with the city's needs. What are your views? I'm very much afraid that I mostly agree with what you're saying. I'm I'm speaking, of course, as a resident of Athens, but also as someone whose job it is occasionally to present the city. Um, I'm sure that all of us doing this kind of thing or simply living in Athens agree that changes were necessary and overdue and that there were and are all kinds of problems. But... um, the nature, scale, but especially the detail of the intervention, um, or I guess for the moment I should say the temporary intervention, because nothing has really been installed permanently yet. All of those concern me. Um, even the character of it, when it's been, if I understand correctly, in planning terms, it's been justified as a coronavirus measure. Surely that cannot be a long-term solution to how to uh, implement and make permanent such changes. Um, I'm a little worried even about the name of it, um, the the great walk or the Megalus Peripatos implies something like a route or an itinerary, which it actually isn't. It is more an attempt, I think, to, to generally change the nature of um, how people move around in a fairly large part of the city center. Um, I think they probably borrowed the, the term Peripatos from what was done 20 years ago around the immediate area of the Acropolis, which in itself borrowed the name from the very beautiful path that actually leads below the Acropolis cliff. Uh, I highly recommend it if you went for the fact it's currently closed. Um, so there, there's... Uh, and, and that, sorry, just to interject, uh, Heinrich, and that was an intervention that proved hugely successful and is still very much used and loved. Exactly. I mean, that's perhaps a key example of how this thing can succeed. Um, I do remember even that one was quite controversial because, of course, um, it did reduce access by, by motorized traffic to certain areas. Um, and maybe we should keep that as a sort of caveat in mind in that sometimes people are very unhappy with changes that do turn out to be positive changes. Absolutely. But, um, agreeing to pretty much what you said, uh, I would perhaps even add one or two concerns. Um, Go ahead. The... The so-called commercial triangle in Athens, especially the area, let's say, below Elmou, between Elmou, Stadio, and Paulistimio, 
is an area that is actually nowadays nearly a rarity in a European capital city center. It's an area of many small businesses. Um, and I would consider that one of the attractions of it. It's certainly something that, um, that lends the area an interest and a character and uh, a nature that isn't so easily found elsewhere. Find me, find me small it's, it's very diverse. Exactly. It's very diverse in terms of what's on offer, who circulates there. It's an area where, um, where a certain amount of tourist infrastructure literally rubs shoulders, of course, currently at one and a half meters distance, with, um, with uh, the authentic city life. And um, I'm not convinced that this has been taken sufficiently into consideration. Of course, I hope it has. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair bit. It, it, it's, it's a lovely part of town and it's one where maybe not now, but certainly in the, in the, the pre-coronavirus days, you, you'd see a lot of uh, activity, not just from tourists, but from locals as well. A lot of independent shops, shops which are gradually dying out in other parts of Athens, but are still hanging in there amid the street food uh, places and all the cafes and so on. And it, 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 it's, a, it's a very rich tapestry of the city. That's that's my feel as well. Um, essentially, my, my slight worry, it fluctuates how slight or how serious it is. Um, I fear that this grand walk, Megalus Peripotas notion, is um, is not really based on a, on an attempt of uh, of integrating the existing city with its grittiness and with its diversity and with its many contradictions into a new scheme. Now. Again, I say that with a caveat that I hope I'm wrong, um, but um, what I'm looking at are sort of computer-generated images of, um, let's say, Pampistimio reimagined as uh, some sort of low-grade version of the Champs-Élysées or something like that. Um, and I'm simply not convinced that that's actually what those streets are for and what they can support. What are we going to do with the extra-wide pavements of Pampistimio that will now essentially turn into five-a-side soccer-sized pavements, what activity is going to fill these places? Who's sitting on those benches? Um, who is enjoying those, indeed, rather incongruous palm trees? Um, there are not only positive implications from this kind of thing. Um, if a lot of areas are removed from circulation and traffic and nothing is put in place to encourage people to hang out, to be active, to socialize, etc., in those areas, it can actually lead to an aggravated sense of dilapidation. Um, and I'm extremely worried about that. Um, the, the closure of the streets or the partial closure of the streets may be a good idea, but it actually would have to be part of a wider package that encourages and reintroduces and introduces the appropriate users for those streets. All, all very good points, Heinrich, and you mentioned the palm trees there, and just so people listening don't think we have something particularly against palm trees per se, it's just that they, they don't fit into certainly the Athenian environment. And just to share a, a recent story with you, walking through the centre and uh, along part of this uh, so-called uh, Great Walk, there was a couple in front of me who came across uh, a row, I think it's about four or five palm trees, some of which I have to say are already looking the worse for wear. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the woman looked up at them and she, she physically became angry. She started shaking with rage. 
and starting, you know, complaining about the fact that what the hell are these palm trees doing here? It's nothing to do with us. We have so many other uh, plants and, and so on that we could, we could put here. It, it, it's like trying to turn, as you said, you know, Athens into something else, into something that it isn't. That's, that's certainly my fear. I mean, of course, we all agree that uh, rethinking of how we circulate in the center is a good idea, encouraging everyone, visitors and locals alike, to, to spend more time on foot is a good idea for many reasons. Encouraging cycling, I'm sure, is a good idea. I'm a bit dubious about that because Athens is a very hilly city and I think in traffic so far is not the most disciplined. But yes, if people want to cycle or need encouragement to cycle, let them do that. Um, but it needs to be something that is off Athens and for Athens. Um, the trees are a really good example. Um, it's not a given that they're going to survive there. Tall trees in pots, we're not convinced about that. The other thing is, if you're looking at the street involved, it's actually one of the streets that still has some pretty decent architecture in Athens. That's not the case everywhere. Um, I don't think it's a terribly good idea to hide some of the better architecture in Athens behind trees. Yeah, that's, that's another very good point. Okay, Heinrich, let's take a step back from the Great Walk and try a little bit to work out why we've ended up with a city that seems so unfit for purpose in the 21st century. The plans for modern Athens were drawn up in the 1830s, if I'm not mistaken, but following the Second World War, the city obviously changed drastically as Greeks came in from the countryside, flocking to the capital for jobs and a better life and so on. Uh, from your view, where did things go wrong, if if, if that's a, a term I can use? It's actually a very difficult question. Um, and it probably might, it might go back a little earlier than one might even think. The, the 1830s plan for this new royal capital of uh, then Bavarian-run Athens and Greece, um, I'm not convinced even that plan was necessarily fit for purpose because it was a plan dreamt up by architects from a very different northern European environment to be implanted into, into Greece uh, in the context of, uh, of a political system that, as we know, also didn't really work and had to be replaced after 30 years. Nevertheless, it certainly was nice to look at. It still constitutes the center of the city. And what's happened to the city, as you already said, is immense and fairly rapid urban growth. I think actually starting with the um, roughly around the era of the exchange of populations in inverted commas in the 1920s and then um, accelerating rapidly after World War II and into the recent past or perhaps even the present. Um, so what went wrong? Well, <laughs> what didn't? Uh, I think quite a lot of things <laughs> went wrong at the same time. Um, the urban growth was too much and was and too quick and was obviously to do with wider problems in Greece, in that Greece um, uh, struggles with the fact that uh, nearly half of its population essentially lives in one place, which is not really a terribly well-balanced or positive uh, development for the economy of the country. So that's one thing. Um, obviously, in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, people were probably not as concerned with... Uh, issues of sustainability uh, or not even as aware of them as they are nowadays. So the, the unchecked growth of the city was certainly very problematic. We also all know um, that essentially much of the suburban growth of Athens, Athens was uh, unregulated um, and uh, more or less unplanned. Um, 
there were, of course, certain reasons why it happened that way in that perhaps nobody really had an interest of taking control of it for certain times. There's always very big money involved in, in rapid urban growth. So there's all kinds of factors that played into this. But yeah, all do, do, really too, too many people were, were making a living off this thing to, 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 in order to stop it. Yes, which is, which is very understandable. And of course, lots of people benefited from it. But um, all of this actually more or less describes the problem of the suburbs. Um, regarding the center, it means what was once to be, what was once planned to be essentially the entire city it did simply turn out to be just the core of a very large conurbation. Um, of course, there are problems that all European cities have in recent years of businesses moving out of the centers and that kind of thing. A certain degree of urban dilapidation, but I still think the main problem really was uh, relatively poor planning and um, maybe a certain lack of foresight of the needs of uh, primarily residents in terms of green spaces, in terms of transport, etc. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that everything went wrong, that's that's a quip you can make, but um, the it might even be a bit unfair to say the city is uh, is unfit for purpose in the 21st century as such a generalized statement. The city is quite good at being Athens, after all. And um, those of us who love it, I think, have come to love it, warts and all, as one says, with, with all its flaws and contradictions. Uh, that doesn't, however, mean that there's no room for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a city that uh, has obviously its ugly side, but um, you know, if if you can persist and you can get over a lot of the things that push you away, that there is a lot that is uh, beautiful about it. And in fact, I, I don't want to, people to get the impression that we're getting too down about uh, the city. Just trying to uh, be constructive about the way it can improve and. Amid a lot of the developments that have scarred it over the last couple of decades, there have been some things that have changed it for the better, such as moving the airport out of the southern suburbs of uh, Elinico, creating an excellent metro system, a ring road to ease some of the congestion. Of course, these interventions were made in much more favorable economic circumstances than the current ones or the ones we had over the last decade. But do they perhaps point the way for the future? Uh, Heinrich? Uh, to a very considerable extent, yes. Um, to be more precise, they certainly have to be illustrations of, of one of the ways of the future. All the things you mentioned, the airport move, the ring road, uh, the generally improved road system, and most importantly, the metro perhaps, uh, these were all the result of very long and carefully planned uh, changes to the functioning of the city. They did all um, benefit from a uh, essentially very large-scale European funding, which I believe is still available for such projects. Um, and they were all thought out um, as actual improvements to how the city functions, to how circulation functions, etc. Um, I think primarily that was actually what was uh, behind them, rather than cosmetic changes to the appearance of the city. Um, so they were very much based on Athens as a functioning city and on how to well, how to make it function better or more pleasantly or more easily. And that, I think, has to be one of the ways of the future. Um, there has to be a continuance of well-planned, carefully executed, not suddenly or quickly, but really carefully executed changes to the city, such as the new metro line that is coming and such as hopefully other changes 
um, that we will see in the future. At the same time, um, I think there has to be another consideration beyond these very large-scale mega projects, important as they are. Um, we have to start considering the actual nature of the city and what happens in it, of the needs of its inhabitants and of its businesses, in a way that also allows perhaps more small-scale or more localized interventions, um, such as the ongoing project of improving the streetscapes around Eolu. That would be a good example if there's money for that. Um, we have to look at individual neighborhoods and how they work. Yes, of course, that has to be part of a wider scheme, but um, there, there, have, there have to be multiple avenues of improvement. And um, I think we need to find a way to encourage local involvement in those. Of course, that didn't work for the metro or for the ring road. You can't, there is no way of involving local yeah. in those. But um, there, there should be another scale because amongst other things, we should keep in mind that Athens, of course, is a community and that the city, that people experience the, the, the physical city, the fabric of the city, is to some extent the result of the community that lives in it. Um, so I would like to see more involvement in that. Uh, for example, regarding the current Pelipatos project, whatever you think about it, it certainly wasn't uh, based on terribly efficient or well-communicated uh, consultation with the inhabitants. Yeah. And I'm sure that's one of its problems. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's often a, a problem in Greece in the way that these um, interventions are made, very little communication and consultation. Uh, bringing it to the present day, Heinrich, tourism seems to be the driver of much that's going on in Athens at the moment, or certainly until the pandemic struck. Abandoned buildings being turned into boutique hotels, run-down apartment blocks, getting a facelift so they can go on Airbnb or other short-term rental, short rental platforms. And shops that were shuttered for years are being transformed into trendy street food places or cafe bars. Um, for me, this is both encouraging and worrying because it's attracting much-needed investment. But there are major questions about the economic, social and environmental sustainability of all this. What's your take? I can see I can see the same concerns, um, uh, but also the same positives, I think. To give an example, um, in recent years, the area around Eolu, which was closed shops when I first came to Athens, and then a lot of closed shops, um, and now it's a mixture of established businesses and uh, well, of a lot of foodie places, from street food to fairly fancy restaurants. Um, I see that as a very successful transformation that uh, was probably to some extent based on the, the strong presence of tourism, but that is, also, of course, also attractive, as I see when I walk around there in the evenings, to a lot of local Athenians. Um, so I would see that as a very positive change. Uh, to give a negative example from what I hear or read uh, or I'm told by friends, uh, in, if, you, if you're looking for a family home in Kukaki, uh, at the moment, or let's say prior to the coronavirus crisis, it was virtually impossible to find one because anyone who owned property there would Airbnb it because essentially they would get a much better return. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a common trend over the last couple of years. Yeah, That's an extreme that many other European cities and cities internationally suffer from. I hear similar stories from Rethino uh, very badly or Thessaloniki, not quite as badly. So um, the problem is not just an Athenian one. I do think it will need interventions. 
Um, they basically, there has to be a cap on them. There has to be a cap on how many months you can use them for rental or what area, what percentage of an area can be used like that because we don't want a situation like, say, the Marais in Paris, formerly a student quarter, which is now something like 90% tourist accommodation, which, of course, also means that the quarter has uh, essentially lost the authenticity and the dense fabric of urban life and living that attracted people to it in the first place. We should be very careful about that. We should make sure that um, tourist development in Athens is sustainable uh, and actually supports and underpins the authenticity of the city. We should also keep certain business models in mind. Um, I don't think it's a terribly desirable situation for for Airbnb-type rentals to essentially squeeze out the, the hotel market. Um, all of this, I think, needs a bit of planning and regulation. Um, there are some areas in Athens that have essentially ceased to be residential, like most of Plaka. Maybe that's all right because it's like the traditional blah, 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 European city old town, but uh, we should certainly be very careful about how and when this kind of thing happens. We also need to think about what kind of tourism is sustainable to what extent. There's a lot of people coming to Athens in recent years who will stay three or four days, um, probably in an Airbnb. They will frequent local businesses. They will visit some of the sites. Uh, broadly speaking, I think that's probably a very good form of tourism, and it may even be good, I think it is, if it spills into the neighborhoods. Um, there's also tourism such as mine. I do organize groups. My guests are in Athens for a week, staying in a hotel in the center, um, and obviously using all kinds of local businesses because we have to feed them and such. Um, uh, there are other sides to the business that really should be considered very carefully. Greece, for example, has been supporting uh, an increasing number of cruise liners coming into not just Athens, but many other places in recent years, um, where I would posit this is actually negative. Um, cruise liners basically spill thousands of people into Athens at the same time. They all go and see the same things. Um, they all spend something like two or three hours in the city, um, which means they require a very specific type of infrastructure, the same type of infrastructure that nowadays bedevils places like Venice or Dubrovnik, uh, that is of no benefit to the locals, that is of no benefit to sustainable tourists that uh, tourism that Athens profits much more from. Um, and I would think, especially after the experience of 2019 and 18, when we already had the beginnings of over-tourism in Athens, uh, I would think it's time to pull up the drawbridge for this and to be much more selective about the types of tourism we actually want in the city, um, because it will affect the long-term character of the city, its long-term attractiveness and the long-term profitability of the sector. I think what you describe is the kind of um, quandaries that other, certainly Mediterranean cities and cities that I've been to in the past few years, like Barcelona or Lisbon, have been grappling with. I, I think my, my one concern with Athens is that it we don't really seem to be discussing this uh, very much. I think it's very important that you've uh, highlighted it. And you, you mentioned there, you know, sort of taking uh, groups of visitors around and I'd like to tap into your unique perspective as someone who lives in the city and has lived in the city for a while, but is also involved in guiding visitors around. Could you give us an idea of some of the things that stand out as positives or negatives for you and the, the, the visitors you're showing around? 
Athens is not a, a hundred percent picturesque place like the Venices or Florence's order of this world. Athens is a large, uh, pulsating, living city. Um, amongst other things, it's one of those cities of which one says they never sleep. Um, so there is a lot for Athens. Athens is a place where fantastic ancient monuments that I don't need to name here because everyone knows the ones I'm referring to, rub shoulders with the, with the gritty, modern, diverse, often surprising, sometimes slightly random, uh, modern city. I said modern. Um, so it's, it's certainly a place that, uh, that can dazzle us and surprise us, um, perhaps not necessarily just at first sight, which is the rock with the temples on it, but it's really at second and third sight that the city becomes more and more rewarding. Uh, it also has fascinating street gastronomy and cultural life and all of that. And uh, of course, long before any government or city authority told us to, um, many colleagues working here and people like such as myself, we have had our own great walks in the city. And uh, it's very important to note there's more than one of those uh, because there's, there's always more than one way to look at something. Um, and I think it's actually that diversity and the, the changeability of the city, the fact that it can surprises, uh, can throw surprises at us, uh, and that it does have this coexistence of old and new, even of traditional and modern Greek lifestyles in, 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 in the modern city, all of these are immense benefits to it. It is, of course, also full, once we look for it, of, of quite beautiful vistas, of interesting little shops, of nice people to meet. It's a very hospitable city. So all of these are great positives, and they're the reason why I always tell people, if you come to Athens, don't come for one day or two days or three days. Come for a bit longer. Look around the city. But do the usual program of visits, of must-sees, of museums and sites, but also spend some time observing the city life and just hanging around somewhere, relaxing and watching the city because there's so much of it. Negatives? Yes, of course there's some negatives. Traffic in the city can be frustrating. Let's not forget people also need to move in and out of the city. Uh, we show them things. I don't know. We show them around Egenau or Sunia or places like that. So we do need to circulate a little. And that can be very frustrating. And uh, let's see whether the new plan makes that better or worse. Um, there is, of course, a problem with uh, individual details. Like certain areas are, are a bit run down. Here and there, there's a bit of detail that could be better. Maybe the odd street could be a bit less bumpy. Maybe people shouldn't be parking all over the place. Maybe there should be, let's say, a more disciplined attitude to when delivery trucks can drive up and down Avenue, that kind of thing. So there's all kinds of little details that could certainly be improved a lit little and that hopefully could be improved sort of by a consensus of the people involved. Um, but let's not turn Athens into a sort of... Uh, a Disneyland of what it once was. Um, we don't need a, a sort of sanitized, plasticky, um, uh, Fustanella, Alexis Orbas Athens. We need the Athens that actually lives and the Athens that has diversity, that has people from different backgrounds. And the, that, that is a city that is really capable of fascinating us, if not at every step, at every few. Yeah, I think you, you sum it up very well there, uh, Heinrich. And, of course, you know our podcast takes the name from the place in uh, ancient Athens where people came to discuss, debate, and share ideas. Um, 
And before closing, I would like to draw on your knowledge as an archaeologist. And it would be interesting to hear from you if there is anything that modern Athens can learn from its ancient incarnation in, in respect of what we've been discussing. Yes, I can think of a number of things. <laughs> um, how do I start that? Okay, the obvious thing that most people used to think ancient Athens did, let's say the people who planned modern Athens in the 1830s, they would have been convinced that the ancient Athenians basically made sure that everything in their urban environment was perfect and beautiful and designed to be, uh, to be nice to look at. Uh, that is, however, not at all the case. Ancient Athens was probably mostly quite a gritty city with lots of mud brick houses that were not always in the finest condition and with those great monuments standing out here and there. So let's not follow that false image, but let's find uh, a real one. You've been up on the Acropolis, as we all have, and you've probably seen that olive tree that stands beside the Erechtheion, that confusing and wonderful temple on the uh, on the northern side of the Acropolis. Why does it stand there? It stands there because the ancient Athenians supposedly were wooed by two gods, by Poseidon, the god of the sea, and by Athena, the goddess of, let's say, wisdom and organization, as to who would be the patron of the city. Each god tried to bribe the Athenians. Uh, Poseidon offered them the sea and thereby like the strategic access, access to the Aegean and to what would become the Athenian Empire in the 5th century. Whereas Athena offered them the olive tree, which stands for the fertility of Attica. And the Athenians wisely picked Athena as their patron. That's why the city is not called Poseidonia, but, but Athens. Um, because they understood that a city to thrive needs to coexist with a thriving environment. Um, okay, I'm interpreting this a little. Um, they basically realized in this story, what the story symbolizes is that the Athenians understood that they had to have a sustainable existence in their own local environment before they could cast their eye further. Um, and that, I think, is what we can learn from them. That's a very interesting uh, suggestion, Heinrich. I'd like to thank you very much for your insight. And I'm very pleased that we were able to uh, openly discuss the positives and ne negatives uh, of uh, the city that we live in, because I think that's ultimately how we should take it and accept it. It's good and it's bad and we don't need to varnish it, but we should be aware of the things that need to be improved and the things that we should uh, cherish. Thank you much, very much for your time, Heinrich. Thank you very much. It's been an immense pleasure. So we've come to the end of this edition of the Agora podcast. This is our eighth episode, and we hope to have a couple more before we take our summer holidays. I hope we've helped you gain some perspective on the challenges that Athens faces as a city trying to grapple between its everyday difficulties, but also finding a way to be attractive to visitors. I'd like to thank our producer, Phoebe Fronista, for her efforts in helping you get an impression of things at street level. Thanks also to Yeria Naku for her insight, and of course to Heinrich Hall, who gave us that extra dimension by allowing us to draw on his experience. That's it for this time. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, please do listen to our previous episodes on Acast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think and give us the best possible rating you can. 
I leave you with our theme tune from the Burgundy Grapes. Bye-bye.